You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. In the last 30 years, America has significantly reduced the rewards and significantly amplified the consequences of speaking truth to power. Ricky Wynn, a 36-year-old recovering drug addict, uses his Twitter feed to speak truth to power of the California elites who have turned San Francisco into hell on earth. Wynn holds a mirror to the face of Nancy Pelosi, Dianne Feinstein, and Kamala Harris. With his smartphone, he documents the dystopian demise of his hometown. You don't want to miss my conversation with this fearless man. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, Happy Thursday uh, to you and yours. The weekend's almost here. We've almost made it through another work week. Uh, We have a fantastic show planned for you today. As we talked about, we're going to introduce you to a man and have a conversation with a man, Ricky Wynn, who's doing some important work in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, Stay tuned for that. Uh, That's right around the corner. And then uh, Steve Kim, the Korean Cosell, is going to be here. Uh, We'll talk about uh, the NFL appealing uh, Deshaun Watson's uh, suspension, six-game suspension handed down by an arbitrator. And we'll talk about ESPN's list of goats for every NFL position. Uh, We'll do that with Steve Kim. But I want to start by starting a different kind of fire. I want to introduce you and talk to you about a man that I think may end up being the next Michael Moore or the Michael Moore of San Francisco. So I'm going to start a fire, but it's going to be more of an explanation. Uh, San Francisco's descent into a retelling of the classic dystopian novel, Lord of the Flies, angered and then motivated Ricky Wynn. When the 36-year-old recovering drug addict's frustration with his crime-ridden, fentanyl-infested hometown inspired him to use his smartphone as a mirror. For the past three months, he's documented the city's decay in a series of raw cell phone videos posted on his Twitter feed, at rawricky415. That's at raw, R-A-W-R-I-C-C-I, 415. On July 8th, Wynn released a 41-second video of himself standing in front of a school bus as children exited the vehicle. He encouraged them to say goodbye and get home safe. He then panned the camera to what awaited them just steps from the bus, a gaggle of homeless drug addicts lining the street. He tweeted, now ask yourself this question. 
Would you want your children to walk through this squalor just to get home from school? On the video, he tagged President Joe Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, Senator Dianne Feinstein, San Francisco Mayor London Breed, and San Francisco's Chief of Police Bill Scott. The video has nearly 3 million views. That's a huge number for a Twitter feed started in May of this year and a little more and with just a little more than 9,000 followers. Wynn is not a political activist. He has no political affiliation. Nine months ago, he was an inmate at Santa Rita Jail in Alameda County. He served 36 months for trafficking cocaine and gun possession. During the day, he works at the Billy Holiday Center, a facility that helps ex-cons and drug abusers re-enter society. At night, he waits tables at a tapas bar, the pawn shop. He works and lives in a three block radius around the uh, famous 6th Mission Street, a popular area in San Francisco. He documents what he sees on his walk to and from work. He told me last night in an interview, I love my city, it's just in demise. I feel as though these policies that are being implemented in San Francisco don't help. It's so hard for me being a recovering addict, being a criminal. The odds are already stacked against me. It's hard for me to walk down the street and not be aggressively offered to buy or sell drugs. It's all in plain view. People using drugs, government entities have sanctioned tents. They have basically set up glorified smoke shops for drug addicts. Anything a drug addict would want, they have it there for you. It's hard for me. It's really hard. It's a poisonous environment. What he's talking about is Lord of the Flies. That's what San Francisco is. It's headquarters for Beelzebub, one of the seven princes of hell. Beelzebub is what they call the Lord of Flies. Wynn is holding a mirror to the face of the people who claim they care about poor people and kids. He's trying to hold them accountable. Harris, Pelosi, Feinstein, and Bree are California female politicians. They're progressives fighting the evil scourge of systemic racism. So are Biden and Bill Scott. They're the overseers of a hell they created and now maintain on Earth. In a video when posted on June 28th, he captured a young man on the street dying of a fentanyl overdose. Wynn resuscitated the man with Narcan, a nasal spray. It's his prescription opiate overdose treatment. Wynn tweeted, on my way home from rehab, from the rehab center I work at, I came across this young man overdosing on fentanyl. Lucky for him, I had Narcan and was able to revive him. Sadly, uh, the young man did not feel lucky. Uh, Wynn told me the guy, that he thought the guy would be thankful, but the guy was actually very angry. Unbeknownst to Wynn, he's channeling old school Michael Moore in the 1989 documentary, Roger and Me. The doc chronicled the devastating impact of General Motors' shutdown of manufacturing plants in Flint, Michigan. Roger and Me made Michael Moore rich and famous. Wynn's unintentional trolling of Nancy Pelosi's Bay City will likely land him in trouble. 
In the 30 years since Moore's first dock, America has significantly reduced the rewards and significantly amplified the consequences of speaking truth to power. The truth is, America's relaxing of social norms related to drugs has severe consequences. Wynn has lived it and seen it. His mother and father were both addicts. His mother walked the streets as a prostitute in San Francisco. His dad sold drugs and pimped Wim's mother. Wim, Wim, his parents, and his three siblings lived as gypsies, moving from homeless shelter to car to motel to apartment to homeless shelter to car to motel. Wim attended seven different high schools. As bad as his childhood was, Wim is convinced things are much worse today. He told me last night, going through the 80s, my parents used to hide and smoke their drugs. They were paranoid about their usage. Paranoid, ashamed. These people today are shameless. They have no shame. They're advocating for them too much. They gotta be pushed in the right direction. We have safe injection sites. It's an oxymoron. There's no way to safely inject fentanyl sold to you from a guy off the streets. You have no idea what it's laced with. The lack of shame and the normalization of drugs are turning major cities into hell holes and corrupting the kids who live in them. One of the most powerful things uh, Ricky Wynn told me last night, and we were talking about the original video that went viral on July the 8th. Wynn said, you can't tell me it doesn't traumatize those kids having to walk by that squalor every day. It affects me in a negative way. It desensitizes you. It dehumanizes you. It gives you a callousness that just grows. That's what's going on in America. We have created Lord of the Flies. My conversation last night with Wynn, I, I analogized him and the work that he's doing now with the Billie Holiday Center uh, to a character from The Wire. Those of you that watched the show The Wire, perhaps you remember the character Waylon, uh, white guy that kind of ran the drug treatment program that Bubbles, the famous character Bubbles was in, involved in. Waylon was a former drug addict. He was helping other people uh, correct their lifestyle. And, and then I thought more about what I told Wynn about him comparing him to Waylon, and I thought about, I'm a huge, everybody knows I'm a huge fan of The Wire. It's my favorite TV show of all time. Looking at Wynn's Twitter feed and having that conversation with him last night makes me like rethink, particularly season three of The Wire. Remember in season three of The Wire, uh, Bunny Colvin, uh, legalized drugs in an area of Baltimore and the, the show portrayed all these positive consequences that were coming out of the legalizing of drugs in this certain area, these safe injection zones they put up. And, and what we're seeing from Ricky Wynn is like, no, 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 there's consequences to that. It's not a pretty picture. Uh, so uh, without further ado, we want to go out to San Francisco and talk to, I call him a young man because he's a young man to me, but Ricky Wynn's a grown man. He's 36 years old. Uh, 
I want to go out and uh, have a conversation here with Ricky. And Ricky, uh, welcome to Fearless. Uh, I want to start by just asking you, I, I argue uh, today and in the piece I wrote about you that we'll publish a little later today, or, or we published this afternoon, uh, that you're taking real risk by exposing what's going on in San Francisco. Do you feel like what you're doing, shining a light on what's going on in San Francisco, is a bit risky and dangerous? Oh, absolutely. I'm out here on the streets as of right now. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, pretty, um, it's pretty hectic down here, uh, uh, to say the least. I mean, I, I run the risk of not only maybe political backlash, almost getting canceled from my job um, <clears throat> by the Department of Health. I also um, run the risk of, you know, having uh, somebody in a, a psychosis moment, you know, lash out in anger uh, towards me for video reporting them. Um, I also, you know, run the risk of uh, maybe some of these drug dealers not really too fond of me down here uh, reporting them. <clears throat> Ricky, why do you feel compelled to do what you're doing? I'm very thankful you're doing it, uh, but you know you 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 haven't been out of jail that long. Uh, it seems like most people when they get out of jail, first thing they just want to celebrate and just take care of themselves and not do anything risky. Why do you feel compelled to do this? I feel compelled to do it uh, mainly. Um, it was just a, a series of events that happened. Uh, one, namely, my uh, little cousin passing away, Robert Davalos, he passed away from a fentanyl poisoning. I call it fentanyl poisoning because he was taking what he thought was a Percocet and it was laced with fentanyl. So uh, he actually died from that. And it was my family still reeling from that. Um, and then within that same week that that happened to me, I was walking home from work and I ran into one of my ex-girlfriends down here. Um, and she was just strung out looking really bad. And it was, it, you know, we're talking about a beautiful woman when I dated her and now she's just uh, a, sh uh, a shell of her former self, right? So those things coupled with also just, uh, you know, coming home with a fresh pair of eyes, um, being incarcerated for three years um, and then coming home to my city in this state uh, really opens your eyes to some things, uh, to say the least. It's kind of seeing, it's kind of like seeing a loved one or a significant other uh, gain weight, uh, like rapidly or, 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 you know, deteriorating rapidly. <clears throat> so it's, it's, it's kind of shocking because if you're with somebody every day, you don't really notice the chaos that's going around you. Uh, but me being away for three years and then coming home and seeing the state that the city's in, uh, you know, restaurants that were once open have turned into uh, hot zones for people to sell drugs. Um, um, bus stops that I used to take as a kid now are unsafe. Um, you know, things like that. Uh, just if you will, I will just show you really quick. You know, I'm, I literally got my phone set up on this right here. This is what I'm using as a stand. It's a needle uh, disposal thing filled with you know, use needles or whatever. I'm using that. I'm out here with my dog, Scummy, right? And I have my cousin's uh, shirt out here uh, that passed away. You know, if you just take a look around me, it's, you know, a lot of people just kind of openly using, you know, and just kind of in a state of, 
uh, you know, either psychosis or just totally out of their mind as far as being uh, knotted out, as they would call it, uh, on fentanyl. Um, so it's it's really sad scene. I really just I just really want to be able to just walk to the grocery store without having to see some type of drug use. And uh, and then over here, if you see this little children, I don't know, I can't zoom in that far, but they're getting on the bus right there. So it's like uh, me wanting to maybe have kids one day or whatever. But is it is it OK to raise a kid here in the city? Like when I was a kid, even though it was bad in San, San Francisco, I was still able to take the public transportation at uh, uh, early age. You know, I was a really transient, transient kid, if you will. You know, I took the 15 third from Hunter's Point to the 22 Fillmore all the way to Everett Middle School as a child. Nowadays, I would not feel comfortable putting my kid on a bus. You see violent outbursts from people in psychosis from either meth or fentanyl. You see um, very grotesque um, injection uh, uh, scenes. Uh, a biohazardous waste uh, on the streets as far as like needles and uh, things of that nature. So it's, it's you know, feces, urine. It's um, pretty bad. I, I honestly, my friend made this shirt right here, made in the city, and it's kind of like a spin off of Dare. And I remember when I was a child, I mean, they told us just to say no. It was, you know, <clears throat> everyone's mad at Ronald Reagan or whatever with the war on drugs. But at the end of the day, uh, I still I think part of the, some of that was right. You know, I don't believe in mass incarceration, but I believe in maybe giving <clears throat> these individuals a choice between rehab or incarceration. So forced rehab is the um, the solution. I think this is, uh, you know, uh, for, for, for the city and for really America. Right. If you don't want to be in a cell, then you're going to choose a path of recovery. Plain and simple, because um, <clears throat> that's what fixed my life. You know, everyone's road to recovery is different, and I won't. Um, I won't say that one one size fits all, right? There's some people out here that are dual diagnosed that are dealing with mental health problems that need therapy. They need uh, to be stabilized on their medication, uh, and they need housing, uh, and and they need their, to be connected to their services, but. Uh, a lot of these uh, homeless advocates out here will argue that <clears throat> that homelessness is the cause of their using. And that's just not true uh, for 90 percent of these people out here. Uh, addiction is a uh, is is a uh, homelessness is a byproduct of addiction, not the other way around. You never really hear anybody say, yeah, I became homeless and then I started smoking fentanyl. Very rarely will you hear something like that. Nine times out of ten, it would be, I was, I had a drug habit, and it caused me to lose my home. It caused my family and my support system to crash around me and leave me stranded on the streets. Ricky, one of the things you told me last night that struck me very hard was when you walked me through your own personal journey and, and the life you lived as a kid, and then the, the crime you got involved with, you, you got arrested for trafficking cocaine, gun possession, and, and then you explain like, hey man, I can't walk to work without someone trying to sell me drugs or an opportunity 
uh, for me to buy drugs or for me to sell drugs and to go back into a life of crime. And it just, again, it's just like this environment they have in San Francisco makes it harder for you and your recovery and to uh, walk the straight and narrow. It, it It punishes a guy trying to do the right thing and puts more temptation in his way than if we were actually trying to combat this problem. Definitely. It's really uh, rough uh, to uh, have the willpower and the wherewithal to be able to hold on to my recovery uh, and hold on to the new values that I learned throughout going through recovery uh, and to just keep my work ethic going. You know, some days you just get, you know, working two jobs, uh, you know, making, um, you know, minimum wage here in the city and trying to just keep a junior one bedroom uh, uh, to myself is just, it it gets very exhausting. And to come outside and see people making uh, cash um, all day, all night, tax-free, it is very tempting not to want to go back to some, um, you know, level of uh, illegal activity. Uh, But Nonetheless, I'm steadfast in my recovery. I can walk past this stuff now and just say, hey, you know, this isn't the life I want. Ricky, how about family support? Are your parents still alive? Are you close with your brothers and sisters? How are they doing? So my my brother just got out of federal prison. He's still living in the federal halfway house. He just did 10 years for trafficking heroin. my father passed away in 2015 when I was in Delancey Street. Uh, um, my mother, she is steadfast in her recovery. She is a panacea for me at this time in my life. Uh, she makes everything a lot better for me. But she, sadly, she moved out of the city uh, because her husband, uh, who believes in the real recovery, abstinent-based recovery, actually got bitted out by another company um, called Health Right 360, and which is, you know, um, they're, I, I would say they're part of the problem here with the, uh, with the, as regards to the home, the harm reduction side of it and, uh, being okay with people using drugs. Uh, so, so he got bitted out. So now he works at Solano State Prison as, as a counselor there inside the prison there. So sadly, they had to move down to San Luis Obispo County. Uh, and they don't live in the city anymore. But, I mean, she does still support me and supports everything that I'm doing. Is San Francisco, can it be saved? Is it salvageable? Can, can these politicians turn that around? Uh, to say that it's going to be a drug-free utopia is, uh, you know, that's, that, that'll probably never happen here in San Francisco. But to at least push the push the evilness back into the shadows where it belongs, this open air drug dealing, this open air um, drug use. Um, It needs to be pushed back into the shadows. If you ask me, it needs to be pushed back to where the children don't see it, um, to where uh, public safety is uh, priority number one and not people just being able to live uh, in squalor and just be okay with it. So there's, you know, multiple things that I, in my opinion, need to be done. First of all, they need to kind of rethink some of their stances on 
<clears throat> on drug policies, uh, uh, convicting drug policies. Uh, they have a new DA here in the city, uh, Brooke Jenkins, I believe her name is, and she is uh, actually recalling some of the plea bargains the last district attorney had on the table for some of these cases that are pending, um, trying to stiffen the penalties, trying to uh, clean it up. So I respect what she's doing. I hope that it's genuine and it's just not a uh, a ploy for uh, publicity for uh, the mayor's office or somebody else, right? I really hope that she's genuinely trying to do better uh, and going to push the hard line on it. Uh, the second thing I need, I think, needs to be done is I think they need like a mental health response team for some of these individuals that are in a state of psychosis. Some of them are uh, uh, displaying suicidal ideation and other things like that. They need to have a, a response team that can maybe come in, uh, uh, get these people that are in psychosis and maybe uh, get them stabilized and then maybe connect them with services and then maybe even connect them back to their support system because uh, quite as it's kept, a lot of these unhoused individuals were not born and raised in the city, right? And the company that made this shirt, they're natives, uh, 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 same with me, uh, and they're kind of mad at some of the policymakers for um, offering these free hotels to people. And, and it's like basically you invited uh, all these people to come here, and then once they're here, they see the open-air drug market, uh, the climate, um, you know, is is far from like other cities that are like Chicago or New York, where homelessness is not um, that bad because, uh, you know, during the winter, they just can't sleep outside. Right. I mean, here you can sleep outside um, all, all, all 365 uh, days out of the year. So and also there's just too too much um, acceptance of of this drug use. So, yeah, I think that needs to get done. Uh, another thing they might want to look at is, and I know they're going to say I'm right wing for this, which is kind of hard to paint me as, but they might want to start rethinking some of these sanctuary laws that they have here in San Francisco because uh, you're allowing drug dealers to stay in the country that are undocumented. They're getting in trouble for selling drugs once, twice, three times. You know, I was locked up with a man from Honduras um, in 2019. He told me how he traveled here from Honduras and how he's out here selling drugs to the Americans. And, you know, uh, you know, and that's how he sends money back to Honduras. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, we, we, we sent, spent a brief time in the cell, not too long together uh, until I was transferred to federal custody. But, you know, three years down the road, I come I come walking down the street and he's out here still selling drugs, you know, and he, re he recognized me. He was wearing a face mask. You know, they all, a lot of the drug dealers out here, they wear face masks now, which is, I think another, uh, <laughs> another, um, hurdle that the police are going to have to get over. Right. Cause now they all wear masks, <laughs> you know, San Francisco, they encourage people to wear masks. And now all the drug dealers are wearing masks. You can't tell who is who, but, uh, you know, I wear a walk around maskless out here. So, uh, he has spotted me and sit, uh, like grabbed me and was like, hey, what's up, man? You know, and uh, I was like, man, you're still out here? It's, it's kind of crazy you're still out here and you just are not like, you know, <laughs> in prison or, or something, you know? I just don't understand it. <clears throat> it's it's pretty, pretty wild. That I was going to ask you about the impact of illegal immigration and these sanctuary cities, how, how 
and again, I don't, I don't know if I want you to, to speculate, but just how commonplace is it in San Francisco to see someone that's probably an illegal alien? How much control do illegal, illegal immigrants have over the drug trade in San Francisco in your estimation? Oh man, uh, you know, I, I can't go around and say every one of them is undocumented, but I can say this is that um, a large swath of the drug dealers out here are <clears throat> from that uh, from that demographic. Uh, <clears throat> so I'd say probably maybe 80 percent. I'd have to argue like 80 percent. I, I, you know, uh, it's kind of like the fentanyl franchise, as I call it. Uh, they kind of came in and kind of shut everything out. I don't even really know too many local drug dealers anymore, you know, as far as in, in that trade, the methamphetamine and uh, fentanyl trade. And the, you're 36. You were a child in the 80s, 90s. If you, on a scale of 1 to 10, let's say in terms of the chaos and the, the drug deal and, and the crime in San Francisco, let's say in the 80s and 90s, it was a five. How, how much worse has it gotten, you think, over the course of your lifetime than from what you saw as a kid? I would say as far as like culture shock and, and the availability, uh, I would say it's at least jumped up another three points you know, on the Richter scale, <laughs> you know, it's, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely up there, you know, <clears throat> because of, uh, these policies that are set in place, they're just not prosecuting things anymore. My mother once told me when I started doing these podcasts and started doing these uh, videos, my mother once told me that, uh, she, when she was smoking crack, uh, she would be so paranoid. And so a cop actually walked up on her and um, went to go search her. She didn't have any crack on her, but he somehow found a couple granules of crack in her palm, scooped that into his thing, and basically <clears throat> convicted her for that. And that's what got her clean and sober. To this day, that's what got her clean and sober and got her into recovery, was her rock bottom, living in an abandoned house, get, finally got arrested by a police officer, and 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 was able to get out of incarceration and get into a program. She got into, uh, I believe the program at the time was called Walden House. Um, and then she went to Sage Project and started working there. So, and that's what started her long journey in, in, in recovery. Now she's an esthetician. That was kind of like her passion is skin and stuff like that. So, you know, like I said, I always salute my mom for, you know, uh, doing that. It's because it's not an easy journey. Ricky, I, I just want to, Thank you for the time and for the courage. Uh, it's important what you're doing. Uh, I want to support you and, and encourage you to continue on uh, because I, I think it's, it's the only path to correcting this because it seems like the mainstream media wants to cover up what, what is obvious uh, to anybody with a pair of eyes just in sitting here talking to you and interviewing you and, and you're on the streets of San Francisco, you're keeping your head on a swivel, and it makes me just want to ask, like, for the average person, is it safe to walk the streets of San Francisco in the daytime or nighttime, or do you always have to be super paranoid and cognizant of your surroundings? 
I would definitely encourage every resident here in San Francisco to stay uh, hyper vigilant and, and keep their head on a swivel. Uh, I mean, you just don't know uh, when somebody in a drug a, a, a drug state of mind will just have an outburst and do something, um, you know, violent or irrational. Uh, so you definitely want to keep your head on a swivel and definitely be aware of your surroundings. Ricky, thank you so much. Good luck. And uh, we will stay in touch because you're putting out amazing videos and we want to shine a spotlight on what you're doing. Again, his Twitter feed at Raw Ricky, R-A-W-R-I-C-C-I 415. Uh, that's how you can find him on Twitter, find his videos. The, 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 I, I want to play, before we get out of here, I, I would like to play, can we put the uh, video of the kids getting off the school bus full screen with the sound? Is that possible? Uh, if we can, I, I just want to play that and showcase it because, again, it's, it's just really stunning thinking about kids getting home from school, getting off a bus, and what they walk into and what they're confronted with. Let's play that video again. Bye, kids. Y'all get home safe, okay? Y'all get home safe. My little, my little partners out here, get home safe, all right? I'm sorry y'all gotta be going to see all this shit. Okay? Get home safe. They gotta walk through this shit. Come on, man. These little kids gotta walk through this shit. This shit is crazy. I sit here and think about my childhood. And I lived in walking distance of my school. And we walked everywhere in my neighborhood. And it, it wasn't some super wealthy neighborhood. Bunch of factory workers, mostly. Uh, middle class, lower middle class America. And I just sit here and think about my childhood and, and how free we were to go run and play, walk anywhere we wanted, uh, and, and to think what we're leaving kids right now, that, that ki those kids getting off that bus, it's not their fault. They didn't do this. We did, adults. We allowed this, and we're allowing this. And then if we could, I just, there's a picture of, I rattled off Feinstein, uh, Pelosi, uh, Kamala Harris. These guys are all uh, London breed. These guys are all women from California. They're all progressive. Joe Biden is Bill Scott. These are all the people that are out cleaning up America and they're all for poor people and people of color. They're the saviors of 
people of color and poor people. They're the progressives that really care. And look at the hell on earth they have created. They're, people ask me, uh, and I get complaints all the time about, <clears throat> you know, oh man, you're hard on the left, you're hard on Democrats. And I just, look at the results. I'm not gonna lie about the results to make other people happy or so that no one can accuse me of being a sellout. Who really sold out? It ain't me. It's the people that sit silent as the left builds these cities, implements their policies that destroy young people. You can blame me if you want, or I'm some sellout. I'm saying those little black kids getting off that bus, they deserve the childhood I got. And, and my parents divorced, and my mother was a factory worker. My father didn't graduate high school. I, I, didn't, I, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. My mother was a union factory worker. I'm for those values. But if you're too blind to see where the left and where the Democratic Party has gone. They're not supporting union workers in the kind of neighborhood I grew up in. They're creating the hell on earth that is San Francisco. Ain't nothing but Democrats ever run San Francisco. It's been going on for 30 years. This is on them. And while they're running around sending money over to Ukraine, and allowing every illegal immigrant to invade this city and to sell drugs to women, children, kids, men, whomever. And we got kids getting off school buses, walking into that, and they're doing nothing about it? And anybody that says, hey, we gotta cut this illegal immigration stuff out, oh, you're a racist. Oh, uh, you're afraid of demographic changes. No one's afraid, I'm, most people. Most people are not afraid of a demographic change. They're afraid of moral decay. They're afraid of cultural rot. And they don't care what color the people are that are promoting the cultural rot. They just don't want it because some people actually sit there and go, well, hold on, man, everybody deserves the same chance I got. And are we leaving this country in a better place for the young people? And, and hate me if you want, I'm a sexist pig if you want, but uh, these emotional women that we've put in positions of power and they're gonna fix the world and they're all better than men. Look at the results. Pelosi, Feinstein, Kamala Harris, London Bree, are they fixing San Francisco? They're all from California. They all have a connection to San Francisco. That's Nancy Pelosi's base city. San Francisco's where Kamala Harris hung out with Willie Brown. 
London Bridge, the, 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 the black woman mayor they have uh, in, in San Francisco. What are they doing? This dude, Ricky Wynn, is go to his Twitter feed and look for yourself. He's documenting the utter chaos and the hell on earth that they have created in San Francisco and no one's doing anything about it because we gotta fix Ukraine. Uh, thank you, Ricky, for shedding the spotlight and spending some time with us. Uh, I wanna tell you guys about uh, some Blaze socks. The Blaze Patriotic Sock Packs are back. At the end of last year, we released a limited supply of Let's Go Brandon socks. Well, <laughs> you spoke and we listened. So back by popular demand, we have new limited edition socks just in time for the primaries and back to school shopping. There are two sock packages and stylish drink covers to keep your beverages cool and patriotic. If you can't decide which package to choose from, then get both. If you do, we'll throw in a free bonus set of socks and an additional set of drink covers with a discount off the full purchase. These socks are made in America from start to finish. The materials, the production, and the packaging are all 100% American made. For our Blaze TV subscribers, we want to thank you for your continued support, so we're sweetening the pot. Use promo code BLAZESUB for 20% off your purchase. That code is only available to Blaze TV subscribers. You must use the email address associated with your Blaze TV subscription to snag this discount. Not a subscriber? No problem. Subscribe to Blaze TV now and use the promo code FEARLESSSOCKS to save on both your Blaze TV subscription and get 20% off these limited edition socks. Go to blazesocks.com to scope out the socks. Hurry though, these are limited edition. Get them now at blazesocks.com before they're gone. Mm. Uh, I'm not going anywhere. I got more. <laughs> I want to finish my thought on uh, Ricky Wynn and what I just talked about in terms of if I've never voted, I'm going to vote here come November. I'm on the record with that. I'm going to do it because you forced me to. I've never cared about politics. I don't care how much I'm taxed, how little or how high. I don't care. I don't really care about most of the things they debate about in politics. What I do care about are kids. I don't have any, but there's some quirk in my personality that I want all kids to have the same opportunity I had, to have the same idyllic childhood that I had. And the childhood I had was not littered with rose petals of cash. I was poor, but my God, did I have a great childhood. Yes, there were problems. People in my family used drugs, but again, just like what Ricky was talking about, it was in the shadows. I didn't get off school buses and walk into drug, drug addicts strewn all over the street. I didn't have to walk through and walk past people out in the streets selling drugs. And so, again, why I keep bringing this up in a political sense is because you just don't see this in cities dominated by Republicans. Maybe I'm wrong. And I would love for you, hop in the chat, hop in the comments, leave a comment on Apple, point to me 
to the Republican-controlled cities that have what's going on in San Francisco, what's going on in Chicago, what's going on in Baltimore, what's going on in Philadelphia, and all these, maybe they're run by Republicans and I just don't know it. But one group says, you know what? And again, I read uh, Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Whatever. It's one of my favorite books. She's one of my idols. I've been anti-drug war, but we've gone too far. This whole thing, used to smoke weed in college. I'm not some pull up my rear end prude, but the facts and the results are in. We've gone too far. We're destroying young people with all of these liberal policies. We're destroying them. They're living a hell on earth because of our adoption of all of these far left liberal values. And I'm sorry, I can only react to the results and the facts. You have to be Stevie Wonder and Helen Keller Helen Keller was the one that she was blind, right? Or could she not hear? I can't remember. Stevie Wonder, I know he's blind. You gotta be Stevie Wonder not to see what's going on in these Democrat-dominated cities. They're the ones I'll promote, hey, you know what? Cut your child's penis off. He wants to be a woman. They're the ones, hey, put a penis on that girl with a vagina. She wants to be a man. They're the ones for, hey, let that man, Leah Thomas, swim against girls. They're promoting it. I've had enough. Hopefully you have too. Snap out of it. Uh, I just want to put that button on there. Get it off my chest before Steve Kim gets here and I start talking to Steve Kim about it. I don't want to do that. So I just put that button on that conversation. So we'll be back with Korean Cosell talk about sports next. These words are our religion, our regrets, and our decisions. We don't want to go to heaven with freedom. It's my obligation, no hate, discrimination, raising up your hands for freedom. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, welcome back. Uh, we'll see if the Korean Cosell, uh, Steve Kim, can cheer me up. He's the funniest man on the show. Sometimes he's the smartest man about sports on the show. Uh, Steve, I need to be cheered up. I'm in a bit of a sour mood. Uh, let's see if you're up to the task. Yeah, I'm not sure I am either. I, I mean, I'm not exactly Tony Bennett. I, I don't want to leave my heart in San Francisco after that interview. I, I mean, look, we've always known about some of the issues that plague that city, which from afar, 
I guess it used to be called the Paris of the United States. And now there's large swaths of it that almost seem like a third world country. You know, there's a joke among my friends that I rarely uh, ever wear shoes. I wear a lot of sandals, flip flops. I'll be honest with you. In San Francisco, I would wear combat boots and I'd put plastic around them with all the needles and all the human feces. Uh, There used to be a time that San Francisco was a destination spot for a lot of people. It used to be a source of pride for people in Northern California. Now the bottom line is very simple. It is a international and American blight on society and really a sad commentary on the social decay of the current times. But with that, everything's good. Let's go football. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just, is Los Angeles much better than San Francisco? Yeah, because our rent's about 20% cheaper. But on a serious note about L.A., and you lived there for a full decade, this is very interesting. Um, There used to be a time maybe only five years ago when you drive around, you'd only see the homeless encampments and the tents around, let's say, the freeways, the underpasses, and the bridges. The thing that I'm noticing is, is now that it's mushrooming into much more the residential or even what I would call the suburbanized areas, and it's noticeable. And as you drive around, you see certain things, and you're just like, wow, this has really changed. And the thing is, it it, kind of creeps up on you. You don't necessarily notice it on a day-to-day perspective, but all of a sudden, as you think back, wow, was it like this in 2017? Was it like this in 2012? Because I certainly don't remember this being this state in 2005. And you could say what you want, and I know people are going get, to get upset as I make a political statement. This is a direct result of a lot of the policies of the local politician and men like Gavin Newsom. Certainly is. All right, let's move on and talk a little football. Roger Goodell is going to appeal, or the NFL is going to appeal. Let me correct that. The NFL is going to appeal uh, Deshaun Watson's six-game suspension. The NFL wants it to be longer. Roger Goodell is not going to be the face of that. He's going to select someone else uh, to do his bidding. Uh, Roger Goodell doesn't want to be caught up, or he's trying to limit himself from getting caught up in the backlash of being accused of being a racist for asking for Deshaun Watson to be punished more than six games. Uh, Do you respect what the NFL is doing, asking for an additional uh, suspension, and do you respect Roger Goodell Uh, for not taking this on himself? I don't know if I respect it or not. I'm a little bit puzzled, Jason. I thought for years that Roger Goodell wanted the pressure off of him of being the sole arbiter of suspensions and disciplinary measures. And so they got Sue L. Robinson. So the first time she makes a really big ruling, high profile, you in essence are trying to overrule it. So my question is, are you trying to be judge and jury or are you just trying to be the judge and then select the jury? Then if you don't like the verdict, go back to a hung jury and get your own. I I don't understand this. My view is this. And again, I did not read the collective bargaining agreement, but they had a whole year, the National Football League, to make some sort of ruling where I, I read somewhere they could have put them on the exempt list, which isn't necessarily like a sense, but it's like telling everybody, hey, Um, His status is unclear. 
Don't make any trades. I mean, think about what the Cleveland Browns are thinking right now. Not only did they dump their former number one pick in Baker Mayfield, they gave up a lot of draft choices and made a heavy, heavy investment into this guy. And so a couple days ago, as we're talking, we're thinking six games, okay, that's not bad. Now you don't know. I, I really think the NFL has to be taken to task here for one thing. They were indecisive on this for a full year. And when they didn't get the easy way out that they wanted in terms of optics, now they want to go back to battling and being the sole arbiter of discipline. I, I'm just a little bit puzzled by the whole way this scenario has played out, Jason. I, I think this will be some kind of rigged thing where they'll appeal, nothing will be done, it'll be the six-game suspension, and that'll be that. That way they get to satisfy the crowd of people that say, it should have been worse, it should have been worse. Well, we tried, we appealed, blah, blah, blah. But I think mostly the NFL wants this over with. They just want to move on and see if they can transition uh, Deshaun Watson into being their version of Kobe Bryant and put all this behind him and then have him be celebrated as this great quarterback. The NFL just wants to move on from this and they're just going through the motions. Because again, if they really wanted the appeal lengthened, Roger Goodell would take on the task and be the face of it rather than, than uh, assigning someone else to do it. So I, I, don't, expect much, I don't expect much here. Uh, Steve, I, I wanna move on uh, before we do an approval rating on Roger Goodell, because ESPN did something interesting that I actually enjoyed. And so I want to give credit where credit is due can't say I agreed with it, but I enjoyed it. They named the GOAT, greatest of all time, at every NFL position uh, on offense and defense. Uh, the categories on offense, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, offensive tackle, offensive guard, and center. Uh, and so Tom Brady uh, was named the GOAT at quarterback. Mm -hmm. He received 44 of 50 votes. Uh, let's see, running back, they got it right in my opinion, Jim Brown. I don't have a problem with that, although I could see a case for Barry Sanders. Jim got 23 of 50 votes. Uh, Barry Sanders got 14, Walter Payton six. Emmett Smith, you know what I just noticed though? Uh, Emmett Smith three, uh, also receiving votes, Marshall Falk two, Eric Dickerson one, LaDainian Tomlinson one. You know who didn't get a vote in the running backs deal? Who deserved probably at least eight? It's an easy answer, Steve. O.J. Simpson. My answer would be Gail Sayers. <laughs> Gail Sayers. Oh, it's got to be O.J. Simpson. O.J. Simpson's the only guy to run for 2,000 yards in 14 games. Uh, this next one's very easy. I would love to talk to the five voters who didn't vote for Jerry Rice. He only got 45 mm. of 50 votes. Uh, Randy Moss got four votes and Don Houston got one. Um, I, I don't get it. Rob Gronkowski, he got 23 of 50 votes. I told you, Jason, Gronk. <laughs> Tony Gonzalez got 21 in a very close race. Uh, Kellen Winslow got two. Uh, offensive tackle. They went with uh, Anthony Munoz, who is, I think, has to get, he got 27 of 50 votes. Think you gotta go that route. Uh, Jonathan Ogden, Orlando Pace, Walter Jones also received some, uh, my man Willie Rofe got at least one vote. Here's one that was very close for me. 
Larry Allen at guard. Mm. Uh, he got 21 of 50 votes. John Hanna only got Von nine Hanna. votes. And those should have mm. been the only two guys getting votes. Uh, Gene Upshaw and a bunch of other people got two or three votes. Uh, Gene Upshaw got eight votes. And I love Gene Upshaw, but he ain't on the same level as John Hanna or Larry Allen. Here's another one that I had a slight disagree. At center, uh, they selected Mike Webster. Mm. Got 15 of 50 votes. The runners-up. Jim Otto at 13, Chuck Bednarik at 11, then Dermonte Dawson, and then the guy that should have been selected number one, Dwight Stevenson. Dwight mm, Stevenson yes. is the most incredible offensive lineman I think I've ever seen other than, well, John Allen and, and or John Hanna and Larry Allen are tremendous as well, but Dwight Stevenson used to just embarrass people. I don't know why I'm struggling right now to find their defensive GOAT list online, because that's where I really had some problems. Uh, Edge, Rusher, and this is what irritated me, they took uh, Lawrence Taylor over Reggie White, uh, which, look, I don't understand why they're putting Reggie White and Lawrence Taylor in the same category. Reggie White played with his hand in the ground, yeah. Lawrence Taylor played standing up. Lawrence Taylor's an outside linebacker. This is crazy. Jason, Reggie White's the greatest look, defensive end. Lawrence Taylor's the greatest outside linebacker. Look, go, the go thing ahead, is, they said in. edge. Lawrence Taylor was a 3-4 backer, okay? And Reggie White, not only did he play outside, he played on both ends. He would be a right defensive end and a left defensive end. He'd also play inside. Played a lot of three-tackle, played over the nose at times. He's the greatest defensive lineman I've ever seen because of his ability to be adaptable. And Aaron Donald is not far behind. I, I don't get this. And again, it's a minor quibble. If you're going to go with offensive linemen and really say, okay, we're going to separate them between tackles, guards, and centers, which they should do, well, on defense, there should be something that says defensive tackle, defensive end, middle linebacker, and outside linebacker. I agree. Obviously, they got it right with Ray Lewis because he is the greatest middle linebacker that ever played. Uh, my quibble is this, and I love Ronnie Lott. You got to put the radar, Ed Reed. He's the greatest free safety there ever was. Nobody impacted the passing game in the modern era quite like him. He scored touchdowns in so many ways, and every time he got the ball, he was an absolute threat. He still, I believe, has the most return yards after interceptions in NFL history, but you're right. Reggie White has to be on that team because, quite simply, he's the greatest defensive lineman that ever played, and him and Lawrence Taylor played different positions. So you, you jumped ahead to Ronnie Lott over Ed Reed, and I would have named a free safety and a strong safety. Yes. And I'm, I'm not, and so I would have had them both on there. I would have figured out a way to get them both mm -hmm. on there. And I'm not sure. Ronnie Lott may have been a free safety. I'm not, I'm not a thousand percent sure, but I know he was very good in the run game, which makes me think he was a strong safety. Uh, but I had to do some homework on that. Uh, Ray Lewis over Dick Buckus at middle linebacker. I don't have a problem with. Uh, Aaron Donald mm -hmm. over Joe Green at defensive mm -hmm. tackle. That's really close. And don't have a problem. You can go either direction. But uh, let's don't sleep on Joe Green. He's right there with him. Deion Sanders as the greatest corner. I have a 
small problem mm. with Charles Woodson being tied with Rod Woodson at number two. Mm. Rod Woodson, a better corner than Charles Woodson. Shouldn't Agreed. be tied. Uh, Agreed. And so that those would be, I, I found, but I've, I'm telling you, I love this. I love that they did it. I have no idea how they put uh, Lawrence Taylor and Reggie White in the same category. It's a slap in the face uh, to <laughs> Reggie White for him not to be listed as a GOAT of all time uh, on this, but eh, it is what it is. Jason, one lineman on the offensive side of the ball, I'm surprised did not get any mention, at least you didn't mention him uh, on the votes category, Randall McDaniel. That guy was an unbelievable. He got some. He got some. He got a vote or two. That guy was an incredible athlete, going all the way back to Arizona State. The other cornerback that I would have had as my other cornerback on my All NFL team, Dion's number one. I mean, Dion Sanders from 1989 to about 97 before his turf toe, he literally shut down one side of the field. I mean, you want to talk about impact? There's not a lot of players that could literally take the number one receiver, you put them on an island, and you say, okay, we're going opposite direction every single time. My number two cornerback is the smoothest guy I've ever seen. Unbelievable hips. He had range. At his best, he was as good as anybody at running routes with the receiver, Mike Haynes. That'd be my number two cornerback over both Woodsons, who I love. Mm, Don't have a problem with your Mike Haynes argument. He is a guy that people sleep on uh but anyway good job by espn people say i always beat up on espn good job they gave us something to talk about uh they slapped reggie white in the face i will complain about that but overall i got nothing to complain about uh, so Jason, Steve, one last thing. Uh, let's get oh go yeah. ahead go ahead yeah one last thing quarterback yeah, tom brady I, I guess look he's got the most championships in my view as a child of the 80s, it's still Joe Montana. It was much more difficult offensively back then. You could kill people. Literally, you could, like, the, the shots that Joe Montana took from guys like Jim Burt and Leonard Marshall would get guys penalized. And it was a much more defensive sport back then. And I still think, all things being equal, Joe Montana was a little bit better athlete and every bit the precision passer and clutch player of Tom Brady, and it hates. I hate to say it as a kid that grew up as a diehard Rams fan, but my all-time quarterback would be Joe Cool Montana. You just reminded me. Because Brady took all the votes, Joe Montana got four, and Peyton Manning mm. got two. Uh, that means my man, John Elway, the true greatest quarterback of all time, <laughs> did not receive one vote. Uh, and that's not a funny I'm, I, I've got a complete, thorough argument about John Elway. I don't, I'm not going to argue. Brady's got six or seven Super Bowl rings. He, he gets that GOAT title because of that. I'm done arguing. But the greatest quarterback of all time is John Elway. And to see this, he, got, he didn't get one vote. I can't blame ESPN for that, that they – put together, cast of 50 people together, and none of them voted for Elway. If there was a minute 15 left on the clock in a game and you're down by four and you have two timeouts and you had to say, Steve, you get to pick one quarterback to run your two-minute offense to win a game in the last drive, I I would go with John Elway. Look, people kept ripping him for losing Super Bowls as if it's not a team game. 
every look, the AFC was a little bit weaker when the Broncos made their early Super Bowls, but he took teams with almost no running game, and he played in a relatively conservative system that he bristled under with Dan Reeves. He pulled miracles just to get to Super Bowls. Then all of a sudden, they play these AFC East teams or NFC East teams like the Redskins, the Giants, and the Niners, a team of the 80s. No quarterback was going to lead the Broncos to victories in those games. To this day, Jason, John Elway is still the highest graded player coming into the NFL draft in the history of the league. That says a lot. More highly rated than Tim Tebow, huh? (laughs) Yeah, slightly. (laughs) All right, let's get to our approval rating on Roger Goodell. Uh, this will be interesting. I'm critical of Roger Goodell, but he's got a very tough job, so I grade a bit on the curve. Uh, job performance, again, he's got a tough job. He's working in this woke environment. It's it's a very tough job. I grade on the curve. I gave him a 14 in job performance. A 14? You know, I, I yeah. gave him a 5. I'm not a fan of Goodell because he's capitulated in a lot of ways. When you see some of the campaign ads and the social justice things they've done, I just, I don't know. And, and, and it's quite frankly, look, even though the National Football League is by far the most popular league in American sports, its popularity has dipped a little bit. So I'm going to go with the five. Uh, character. Uh, I can't stand all the BLM and the woke stuff they've swallowed. Uh, Roger Goodell has allowed Troy Vinson and people like that to manipulate him into that. He's a low-character individual. I give him a 10 in character. A 10? Again, you're much more charitable than I am. I give him a 5. That's one of those jobs to me. The NFL, you can't screw it up. The the job that Pete Rozelle did, and then even, I guess, Paul Tagliabue, I give them much more credit during the building of the league. He's just kind of taken over. And some of the things that they do, I'm just not a fan of. Like you mentioned, I give him a 5. Uh, authenticity. I don't know what Roger Goodell believes other than he loves his paycheck every other week. Uh, that $44 million comes in handy. I don't find him very authentic. I gave him an eight. An eight. Jeez, you you are Salvation Army today, as I like to. I gave him a zero. <laughs> I don't think there's anything authentic about him. I, I, being a tough commissioner, when I think of a commissioner that was willing to go against the grain, even against his own popularity, would be David Stern. And I don't I just think Goodell at times is gutless. I gave him a flat out zero. Mm, mm. Mm. Steve, you you're generally far more generous than anybody on this show today. You, you got this, the knives out for Roger Goodell. It factor. He leads the NFL. He makes 40 some odd million, 50 million dollars a year. That's some it factor for you right there. I gave him an 18. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. You're going to disagree, but I think he's one of the most unpopular commissioners. Not that they really matter, especially with the shield. Uh, The fact that he still gets booed everywhere, I'm like, Jesus, rather a benign character. I gave him another five. I just don't think he's very popular. When I think of commissioners that have the it factor, I think of guys like David Stern, Pete Rozelle, Guys of that nature, when I think of Roger Goodell, I just think of, eh, he's a guy that's a pariah in many circles. So I gave him a five. Mm. Uh, I've got him candlelit at 50. You've got him at a dumpster fire. Is this your first dumpster fire? It is. I think it is. It might be. Yeah, Steve, you've got the knives out. We're toughening you up. Uh, What kind of shirt is that you got on? What kind of shirt is that you got on? 
Yeah. Home oh, of Freddie Roach right. and Manny Pacquiao. Gotcha. All right, well, thank you, Steve. Uh, maybe we'll see you tomorrow. That's tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. No negotiation, my sister, no relation. We all just want to have freedom. Sitting on a corner, never been alone. I'll break my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back. We are receiving, all receiving. We all want to be free. We want freedom. I just want I wanna be, I just want, I wanna be, I just want, I wanna be, I just want.